The storm that just battered eastern Massachusetts really highlighted the importance of salt marshes in buffering uh, against such storms. But there are lots of other important reasons that we need to preserve salt marshes, and that's what we're going to talk about today on Wendell in the Wild. I am Wendell Waters. I'm Chris Stevens. Thank you for listening today. Um, yeah, that last storm, Chris lives in Nahant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can speak to how bad that storm was. I live in Ipswich. We were hammered. Yeah. I, I live in Nahant. I cover Marblehead, so I have toured both com- what I can get around. There's We still have a lot of street closures in both communities. The right. causeway was closed for the fourth day in a row in Marblehead, just okay. at high tide. It hasn't been closed the whole time. Right. But, um, but even today, they still had to close it because yep. it's just, their causeway is very low to the, it's very even. Okay. With the water. So, and the tides are still that high. Okay. They're washing over the causeway. But there's just the debris. The debris, the rocks that yeah. were thrown up onto the shore. In Nahant, there was, I was sitting in front of the pizza place last night and I realized, I looked over and I was like, that is the top half of a telephone pole lying in the, lying oh. on the side of the road. Okay. Tossed, <laughs> I don't know if it was tossed out of the ocean or if it came down from somewhere. Right, but yeah, right. it's just the debris is unbelievable. And, and, the town administrator in, in Marblehead said as much. He said, you know, it's not as easy as just reopening the causeway. Right. We have to reopen the causeway, and then we have to bring the front-end loaders in to clean all the debris off so people can drive safely across the causeway. Good point. So, right. So, and I haven't been to the, snar- the salt marsh yet. I'm, I'm anxious to see what sort of damage, um, if there was any damage over by the salt marsh. Because there was a lot of rain that came down yep. in addition to debris being thrown up. Yep. And as we will hear further along in the podcast, fresh water, too much of it is dangerous for a salt marsh. It can kill a salt marsh, sure. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's not going to do it in that quick a time, but it's, if it doesn't drain, if it's not if it doesn't get flushed out of there by more salt water, it's a problem. Right. So Chris and I went on the road Mm -hmm. and we visited with Jeffrey Lubbock, who, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Jeffrey Lubbock, who is the treasurer of the Goldthwaite Reservation Trust. Yes. And Goldthwaite, why don't you tell our uh, listeners a little bit about it? Goldthwaite Reservation, and, and Jeffrey will tell you a little bit about this as well, was, it's an an area down at the end of Phillips Street in Marblehead that was left to the town in 1947, I believe, by Dr. Joel Goldthwaite. It was a section of marshland that he just wanted to preserve. He didn't want anything to ha- happen to it, so he left it to the town. You know, it fell into neglect, and there was a time when everybody was developing everything, and this is Marblehead. Is n- it's n- this is not exclusive to Marblehead whatsoever. If you look at statistically, uh, Massachusetts has lost 70% of its salt marshes. Right. 70 percent that yep. is huge for and it's still time. happening yeah we have not managed to stop it no no although the what was it the the water protection act i know i'm not saying it right um was passed i want to say in the 70s and it now it basically makes it illegal and it, it did stop a lot of the action of people just sort of blatantly filling these in filling in salt marshes and, and building on them but there's still a lot of sort of sneakiness out there and people sort of <laughs> encroaching is, on yes. them and and if they're not maintained and not taken care of they will die you do have to sort of take care of them that's right that's right which is what the Gulfway reservation is charged with doing and it's a fairly small marsh it is correct? it is i want i think jeffrey tells us how many acres it is i'm okay. not really sure how it's, many acres it is but it is very small um but it's very beautiful it's, it's it is very, very beautiful. beautiful yes yes so that brings us to why are these marshes important in addition to being a buffer in terms of storms, um, like we just saw last weekend. But 
a lot of people do not realize that a lot of critters breed yeah. or spend their younger time in salt marshes. It's a nursery. It is a nursery. <laughs> That's right. And this has implications for commercial uh, fisheries. For commercial fisheries, yeah, for everything, because this is this is where your baby fish come to grow and learn to swim and learn to survive before they get flushed out into the bigger ocean That's and right. to get eaten by bigger fish. But well, it, it, it gives them some time to, to become a little bit bigger themselves yes. before yeah. they have to go out and fend for themselves. Yeah. Some of the things that depend on the marshes include birds such as egrets, which yep. are one of the common birds that, or more conspicuous, I should say, yeah. birds that you can see. Um, fiddler crabs, um, many kinds of fish. Some mammals, yeah, depending on the marshes, yep. and Jeffrey will talk about that. Um, snails and mussels, mm-hmm. uh, great blue herons, yes, I think, yes, will go there as are. well. Yeah. And then some of the fish that we rely on because they have a commercial industry attached to them are the menhaden, flounder, mm-hmm. uh, sea trout, and striped bass. And striped bass, yeah. Right. Striped right. bass and, and just sea bass, yeah. That's right. So that's a lot of the things that Jeffrey will cover in his discussion with us. Um, and the 20 years that he has been covering the marsh, he's he's learned pretty much all there is to well, know about it. He's been the primary caretaker, right? He, he has. He um, he sort of he got involved with it because his wife had gone to a meeting and he was not there. And and they conscripted <laughs> and him. They conscripted him <laughs> into being treasurer of uh, of the trust, and he has done that for the last, as I said, for the last 20 years. And he's done a lot with sort of caretaking it, bringing it back, cleaning it up. And now there's almost to the point now where it's just maintenance. It's just sort of taking care of it. Uh, But he does a really good job in covering that. So let's just hear what what he has to say. Reservation was given as a land trust by Dr. Joel Goldthwaite, who was a very famous uh, doctor and was the first orthopedic surgeon at Mass General. And it's about 16 acres with about um, 10 to 12 acres of salt marsh. And it's for the people of Marblehead. And the non-salt marsh area has got a picnic area, parking area, and we've got the beach. The salt marsh we've tried to preserve. And the salt marshes have been at extreme risk in Salem Sound area, where we've lost 70% of them in the last 20 years. I mean, that's a very short period of time. If you think about it, these things have been there for you know, millions of years. Have they been lost to neglect, or are people building on them, or what's... Um, it, it people encroach on it, and um, the water doesn't get in very well, and then you get these plants, which we call invasive species, which are plants, most particularly in the marsh, it's Phragmites, and you've heard about those in the, in the Great Marsh, big problem there. And around here, we also have the Japanese knotweed. And I think these were both introduced many years ago because they're quite attractive. But the problem is, is that the uh, Phragmites in particular kill the marsh. And they do that because they have very, very strong roots. And in a growing season, the roots can go down 10 feet and grow 30 feet in one season. And what they do is they choke off the marsh to get rid of the salt water and only have fresh water. The thing about it is, is as it chokes off the salt water and you get more fresh water, you get more deposits and it's easier for people to fill it in and make it into buildable land. In fact, about a third of this area was planned for buildings in 1948 when we 
inherited the uh, the land trust from from Goldthwaite. So by giving it to us, he stopped putting uh, a whole series of six or eight houses on the salt marsh. Are you trying to bring more salt water in? Is there a place here where we're trying to get more salt water in? The salt water flows in and out of the marsh through a culvert that runs under Devereux parking lot, quarter of a mile to the Marblehead Harbor. And that works reasonably well getting water in and out. Our experts say it should be bigger, but replacing it is cost prohibitive, of course. I mean, a quarter of a mile of that stuff would be millions of dollars. Um, the one problem, and, and as the water comes in and out, it's really very important for the salt marsh. It's almost like a human body, where if the veins have the blood flowing through them well, you're healthy. And when the trenches fill in, it's like getting a heart attack. They close up, the blood doesn't get there, or the water in this case doesn't get in, and what happens is they begin to fill in again with non-salt water herbs. And the salt water coming in and out is also very important because a salt marsh is a nursery for small fish. And of course, we've lost so many fish in the New England area Part of this has been is that we've lost the the salt marshes where the fish had an opportunity to grow up. They're like nurseries, and the little fish grow in here, and then when they're ready to go out, they got the big fish in the sea, but the big fish can't get in here to eat them when they're growing. But we, we do have birds that come in here and eat them, but they don't eat as many, of course. Right. We don't get a huge amount of birds in here. We, we get beautiful white herons, mm. blue herons, snowy egrets. Seagulls really don't come here. I don't fish are big enough. It's, it's the little fish, that the herons and things. What we, we did get more recently here, which we hadn't had for many years, was um, snowy owls. Oh, right. Which yeah. are gorgeous. They are. So they and they are huge. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're about the size of a small person. Wow. <laughs> wow. And they, they, they only come when it's really snowy, and they're really hard to see. And you see them by see where the crows come because the crows don't like them at all sure. and they're ah, 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 ah. <laughs> so you hear the crows around and you look carefully you'll see a little blob of snow then you look more carefully it's, it's one of these magnificent creatures oh. now why do the crows not like them do the owls go after their babies I don't know just curious. I think crows are very protective of their territory anyway. True. And, you know, they're, as somebody said, they're really nosies. <laughs> so that when a new new person comes to the neighborhood and it looks like a big bully, I think they just yeah. don't like that. They, it's, yeah. Sure. It's right. their neighborhood. Right. <laughs> Little critters also take advantage of salt marshes, don't they? Yes. Um, snails and whatnot? Snails, voles, little sort of moles. We just did a, we just did a program. On oh, yes. <laughs> and they're right there. They're also um, marsh rats. And people sort of don't like the idea of a rat, but they're really very different from the city rats. And I think they're quite nice. Well, if they're marsh rats, they're not coming up and. Well, right? they do come around. <laughs> they do come around. <laughs> we, won't, we won't talk about that. We won't, we won't spread that rumor. You know, oh, the other thing we get around here quite a lot, it, it's a great area. We've had um, foxes here. I wonder. Mm-hmm. And when the foxes were here, the baby foxes would come around, sit on people's doorsteps, wander across your lawn. Oh, wow. Occasional cat would go missing, but... <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yes, that I've happens. seen rabbits in the area, too. Oh, tons of rabbits. Yeah. 
um, skunks. Mm, sure. You know, right. they, they don't sound very nice, but when you see a mother yeah. with the baby skunks and they're black, black, white, white, they are so pretty. It's almost one of the most prettiest creatures I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. They're striking. They're very striking. striking. The big thing that we've had here is that we have been working to eliminate the invasive species. Okay which used to cover two-thirds of the marsh. Okay. Wow. And we've been working on this now by cutting them for two decades, 20 years. Wow. And we've got them back to the edges, and now we're actually using some herbicide to just finish them off. Yep. And we didn't really want to use herbicide, but the fact of the matter is you get to a certain point where you're just going on cutting them and you never get rid of them. Okay. And what we'd like to do is stop the cutting so we keep the whole marsh really as a wildlife preserve. Right, nice. right. Now it looks right over here, and we will get a photo of this for our listeners, but it looks like, is there some replanting going on here? Exactly. Because there are rows here. We, we had um, a great restoration this last couple of years, and we spent about $150,000 on it already, which is a lot of money for us. What we had um, was that, as I said before, people were planning to build on the marsh, and they pushed um, fill into the marsh. And they had fill right here on the corner, and we've taken that out. We had to sift it, and because it has invasive species, we have to be very creative in getting rid of it. Because nobody wants fill with... Phragmites in it. Phragmites in it, exactly. And we, 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 we tell people we have some fill would you like to take it? And they say, we'd love to take it. And then we say it has invasive species, Phragmites in it. And they say, no! <laughs> Go away! <laughs> so what we did was, um, over there, we helped somebody build up their lawn, which I think make, look, makes it look nicer and it's yeah. more useful for them. Yeah. But for the marsh, it's got two benefits. One, we got rid of the earth. And the second thing is we made the lawn horizontal as opposed to really sloping. Okay. Right. And one of the big problems in the marsh is the runoff of the mm-hmm. water into the marsh. Yeah. So having a level yeah. lawn there, yeah. they absorb the, the water, which is good for them. You know, okay. The lawn is better and the marsh is better. So it was a huge win-win. That nice. took a lot of the earth. Then the second thing we did is over here we have our picnic grassy area. Okay. And we took the earth that we got out of the marsh and, and spread that there. Okay. And, and, and reseeded it so it's much better. Okay. But I'm now coming back. You uh, it took me a long time to answer your question. What are the <laughs> what are the roads of the, of that salt grass that we planted there? Because when we removed the soil, in this area the salt marsh did not come back. Okay. And I don't know why. Nearly all the other areas it has come back very quickly. Hmm. And maybe it was here for such a long time, or maybe it was the content mm-hmm. of of the fill. But what we did, we planted it, and it's come back quite nicely. It'll probably take three, maybe four years to fill in properly. And what kind of grass is it? Salt grass called spatina. Spatina, okay, that's what I thought, okay. And one of the things I'd like to do is, is, you see these trenches here? The best thing we can do is have a trench right on the edge of everywhere around the marsh so it takes away the fresh water. And it allows the salt water to come right in there. And even here where there's a trench nearby... Unless it's on the edge, it doesn't have the same blood flow. It's, it's kind of like a constricted artery. Okay. So having great arteries means a great marsh. Now, were there more 
trenches? Seems to me there were more trenches like that. Have they filled in or? Um, the trenches, no, we've got about the same number of trenches as we've always had, but they do fill in unless we clean them. And we have volunteers, I'm one of them, but we have volunteers come out and clean the trenches. One of the things that happens is that you have a stick that gets into the trench and it blocks the trench and then it fills everything behind that stick fills up and the water can't get in or out. Okay. It, it's a coronary artery where, you know, you have a heart attack. It's, it's exactly what happens there. Okay. It can't come in and out. And that's why we, 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 we walk around the marsh periodically. It, it doesn't... If you catch it within a couple of months, it really doesn't do much damage. But if you don't get cleared out, it really, again, fills in with the fresh water. Right. And what will fresh water do to the marsh? It, it brings back the Phragmites, and it brings back the invasive species, and it kills the saltgrass. Okay. And it also stops the, the little fishies, the mama chucks, <laughs> coming in and, uh, and, and, and breeding here, and going out to sea and... Help, helping feed the big fish and then helping the big fish feed us. <laughs> right. <laughs> circle of life. The circle of fish life. Right, right. So this has really become almost a full-time job for you. <laughs> it has been a lot of work getting it to where we are. It is a huge pleasure to me to see us taking away the fill that was pushed into the mark mm, many years yeah, ago. Yeah. It's the first time we've done that in 70 years. And so we, re- we, we reclaimed about a, an acre out of 10 acres of wow. salt marsh. So it's, it's a big move. The second thing that really happened is we pu- pushed back the marsh all the way around. And the people who live around the marsh are now really looking after their marsh. That's and amazing. That, it used to right. be called the, um, the swamp. And it used to look awful. Right. And if you have a place that looks awful and people start dumping things there, right. everyone knows that's a great place to go dump things. Sure. sure. What was right. one of the first things you pulled out? Oh, uh, bicycle, yeah. television sets. Oh, boy. Big barrels. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, a lot of uh, asphalt, concrete, bricks. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. I mean, one of the things, the house over there, which I'm not going to mention any name, uh, in March, I discovered they just pulled out a, a rhododendron from the garden and just chucked it in the marsh. So the gardeners used to really abuse the marsh. And now I have just about every person around the marsh who has agreed to cut and look after the piece of marsh that's between their property and the first trench. Okay, that's great. Yeah. And, and that is huge because the biggest damage to the marsh is by human. So... We used to look at wetlands, all wetlands, as yes. something negative back in the day. They were yes. all just to be swampy, right? But once I think people understand the role that they play, not just in, as, as you mentioned, giving the little fish a chance to grow up before they have to go out and deal with the big fish, <laughs> but um, they also buffer against yes. storms. Yes. Right. So now that people are understanding that more, it gives them more of an incentive to take care of this, in addition to what looks better now. One of the things that's very interesting here, this is a very unusual salt marsh, because we have very unusual cobble beach. And that cobble beach is only there because the causeway, which used to be a small mound, we built a road on top, and we stopped the water coming in through the harbour and over the, the, the causeway to this side, 
and that's caused by the stones breaking off the neck and being carried around here and being piled up here. So that, of course, is very nice to have, but it really has stopped the seawater coming straight in to the marsh from the sea. Right. So that's why we're so dependent on the culvert. Culvert is is our main aorta of life. That that all the water comes into the marsh from there. And with the collapse of the wall down there, the culvert, it's created a sandbar. So it's it's like a, a you know artery restriction. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping that the town has filed for an application to to correct that okay. and take it away. But without taking that sandbar away, eventually it would kill the marsh. It would kill the marsh, yes. right, right, because it would just completely choke it off. Yes. Yeah, okay. So you feel like even though the culvert can't be replaced, because that's yes. going to be an awful lot of money, that there are all these other things that you're doing, in addition to getting rid of that sandbar, this should thrive. I think it will do well. It will always be at risk because it really doesn't have the best supply because the culvert is not as big as we'd like but the huge thing that I've seen in in the last 20 years is that people around the marsh now own it and I always say it's like it takes a village to raise a child right it takes a village to raise a salt marsh yeah Yeah, it does it does (laughs) and if if it it takes very little for people to you know uh, abuse the salt marsh chuck something in there and you chuck something in and it blocks one of our arteries, it's very bad for the marsh. But if they're there and something is blocking the artery, let's say a stick or something that's natural, and they clear it out, it really makes the marsh healthy in the long term. And it makes maintenance of the marsh a, 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 a slight effort, a very small effort as opposed to the big effort we have today. Right. And it also, because it's, it's a beautiful color, it changes throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, people now in the house is beginning to really appreciate how beautiful it is yeah and even with the restoration process we get no money from the town or from the state it's all volunteer money right uh, all donations and uh, a lot of people really have have donated a lot of money in the last particularly over this period where we've been cleaning up the marsh we've been taking in seventy thousand dollars a year which is huge for us yeah right we used right. to have a budget of 5000 Right. That's a big difference. <laughs> That's a big difference. That is a big difference. But I think part of it is, like you said, people have seen the change. They've seen the change in the marsh, and that probably spurs them maybe as more of an impetus to give when they see something actually happening. It, it, both they've seen the change, and we've also been out, and you know, the reporter and, and Chris, who has helped us get some of the information out there to the people, we have the, um, the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts who come here and... The, the Marblehead Reporter has done wonderful articles on those. It's so much fun. <laughs> and and they, they, they come, and the, the last time the Boy Scouts came, they saved us about $1,000 in cleaning up uh, the detritus, mm-hmm. the stuff that, that comes up from the marsh. I, I call it marsh vomit, which my, ma- my wife hates. <laughs> but what it is, it comes out of the belly of the marsh, and it's all the bad stuff, and it throws it up on the edge. And unless you clean it away, it, it, it chokes out the salt grass. Okay, okay. So it's all the detritus, all of the rubbish. Sure, right, okay. You know, most of it just natural, but you also get plastics and bottle cups and these kind of things. Plastics, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In fact, that's a whole other maybe 10 podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, uh, well, that's great. Thank you so much. I oh. appreciate your taking the time. Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. My, it's my pleasure that so many people are getting pleasure from it. It really is wonderful. So thank you so much for taking the time with me.